On today's show, we'll be joined by Locked on Lakers host Andy Kamenetsky to break down all things Frank Vogel, his strengths, his weaknesses, his offensive and defensive philosophy, potential fit with the Houston Rockets, why things didn't work out with the LA Lakers, how he developed young talent, all of that and more coming up right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control Houston. Ignition sequence start. The Houston Rockets select Jalen Green, Alperon Shengun, and Jabari Smith Jr., T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. Every time I step on that floor, I'm coming. Hey, Houston fans, I am so happy. You're getting somebody who's going to come in with a chip on their shoulder, somebody who's going to come come in and compete from day one. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin and the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets. Free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube. Be sure to search Locked on Rockets, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on the way to work on your lunch break, at the gym. Thank you for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day. Joining us now to help us break down Frank Vogel as one of the possible head coaching, well, he is one of the head coaching candidates for your Houston Rockets, but the possible next head coach of your Houston Rockets is none other than Andy Kamenetsky from Locked on Lakers. Andy, so happy to have you here with us to give us a little bit more insight into who Frank Vogel is as an NBA head coach, his success or lack thereof issues at times maybe with the Lakers kind of peeling back the curtain a little bit to give us some more insight as to this guy who may be coaching on the sidelines for the Houston Rockets here in the not so distant future. Um, Where I'd really like to start first with you is kind of how would you best define Frank Vogel's tenure as the Lakers head coach? Um, In certain respects, it was a surprise in the sense that you never expect anybody to win a championship in their first season. And, you know, combined with the fact that he was very clearly not the Lakers' first choice, um, frankly, their firster choice, or maybe even no, no pun, first No choice, pun intended there. Nice job. <laughs> um, was actually Jason Kidd, who was you know, the top lead assistant for Frank Vogel's staff. Um, they went... During the the process of fi- of hiring Luke Walton's replacement, it was very clear that they wanted Jason Kidd to be the guy, but because of issues in Jason Kidd's past uh, involving domestic violence, and also too some of the issues he had had um, as a coach, whether uh, dealing with management, we we saw that I think both with the Nets and with the Bucks, but also uh, shenanigans. And some things that went, you know, spilt sodas and the like, like Jason Kidd has always had a very prickly personality. He's, he's been known, I think, both as a player and as a coach as difficult to get along with, with the exception of the fact that players around the league revere him. And he was somebody that has a, I believe still has a really strong relationship with LeBron James, which is among the reasons that I think the Lakers were so interested in hiring kid, but I felt it was pretty obvious that they were concerned about the optics of bringing in Jason kid 
So they were basically trying to slide Jason Kidd in through the back door as if something like that is actually possible to do. But, you know, they, Ty Lue had been ahead uh, of Frank Vogel in the line. It, it, a lot of people, including Ty Lue, thought he was going to get that job. Uh, Ty Lue had a Lakers cake all set up for him in Las Vegas celebrating his birthday. That I'm not kidding. That actually happened. Um, Monty Williams was ahead of Frank Vogel. And eventually Frank Vogel got the job. And it was so clear also that Frank Vogel was the afterthought organizationally that his introductory press conference, basically every question was asked about everything but Frank Vogel. And often to every the questions were asked to everybody but Frank Vogel. He was he handled being an afterthought very well. I thought he did a really good job in the beginning of establishing relationships with LeBron and AD, uh, establishing an identity. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, the fact that he was never the first choice of the organization eventually caught up to him and created problems for him as a coach beyond whatever weaknesses and despite whatever strengths. Okay, and I, wa I wanted to get into some of the strengths and weaknesses, both kind of, you know, with the X's and O's, the on the court, some of the basketball philosophy, as well as just things aside from those. But I, I had this question teed up for you a little bit later on, but I feel like it's really important to just tackle right now based on, you know, what you just told me there. I mean, how much of Vogel's success then do you attribute directly to him and what he brings to the table, or do you attribute it maybe more so to his supporting cast, right? The guys that he had around him, right? I mean, it almost sounds like in a way that was, was Jason Kidd like shadow coaching behind Frank Vogel, you know, while he was an oh. assistant? Well, based on what we're seeing right now in Dallas, the answer is probably not. Um, <laughs> but I mean, look, every, every head coach, to be clear, every head coach benefits from their staff. You know, there's a reason that Phil Jackson kept some of the same people around all the time. There's a reason that Greg Popovich finds a lot of people that eventually go on to have a lot of success on their own. It's because they bring a lot to the table. So if Frank Vogel benefited from some of the minds on his staff, that should not be a knock against Frank Vogel. That should actually be a credit to him that he's willing to put good people around him and will listen and isn't worried about somebody either snaking his job or getting all the glory. Um, defensively, Frank, Frank Vogel's really, really good. I mean, he's been consistently that way throughout most of his career, certainly the best years with the Pacers and the best years with the Lakers. His teams were often incredible defensively. And with the Lakers, at least, it was periodically without having nearly the type of defensive roster on paper that you would say automatically, okay, they, they got this defensively. I think he is often quite good at coming up with schemes. I think he's very good at getting buy-in defensively. Like, and and that's he is defense first. Like, if Frank Vogel could win every game two to zero, he'd be thrilled. Like that that is that like is his fantasy of what basketball should look like. Um, and and I think there's been too much defensive success following Frank Vogel to say that it's just a fluke. I mean, it's clearly his wheelhouse. Offense, I think, is where he needs more help um, and where the staff could really benefit him most. Um, this wasn't just with the Lakers. Uh, if you look at his time with Orlando, and granted that was an Island of Misfits Toys roster, but also even the best years with the Pacers, his teams tend to be middle of the road or lower in offensive rating. I don't think he is a particularly 
creative offensive uh, mind or his instincts are all that creative. Um, I think he's somebody that needs people around him to, to either spark imagination or just get the most out of the players out there. So in that sense, who his lead assistants are or who, whoever is on the staff, their offensive credentials will matter a lot. But if you bring in Frank Vogel, I'm pretty confident that, and this I think would be really important for Houston, there will be a baseline of defense that you'll see your teams play because he's just he's got too much of a proven track record of that happening. Coming up, we'll get into some of the offensive and defensive philosophy behind Frank Vogel as potentially the Houston Rockets' next head coach. We're going to get there in just one moment, but first, today's episode is brought to you by Nissan. Nissan's most electric player of the week is brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. And this week's most electric player of the week is none other than Victor Wimbenyama. Pray for Victor. Pray for Victor, indeed. Look, Victor is everything this Houston Rockets organization needs, wants, desires out of this year's NBA draft. He is the crown jewel of the draft, and that is why he is your most electric player of the week. He's got this... It just the way that he plays, right, is brilliant, right? We've never seen it happen before. A big man that is that fluid offensively, but then still that much of an impact player defensively, seven foot four, towers over all the competition elegantly powerful, just delivers on duality, right? He's got the defensive side of his game. He's got the offensive side of his game. It, Victor Wimanyama is the entire package. So if you need some more electricity in your life, if Wimby is not enough, you can check out the 2023 Nissan Aria that packs pin to your seat power and premium intelligence all in one electric vehicle. The all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day. Let's go ahead and continue on here with our breakdown of Frank Vogel with Locked on Lakers, Andy Kamenetsky. Hearing baseline of defense is would be just, you know, a far cry, a, a nice change of pace from what has been going on with the Houston Rockets for these last few years. Again, it's a really young group, you know, whether or not that actually comes to fruition remains to be seen, right? It, you know, what any coach might actually be able to get out of this young group of guys. But to your point about, you know, his defensive success, right? Just looking at, you know, what he was able to accomplish with the Lakers, right? He was uh, 11th in defense that very first season, the one that they ultimately won the title. But if memory serves, I believe they were actually like coasting close to, you know, number one defensive rating for a majority of that year, part of that season before the bubble happened and other things. Um, then they were first in defensive rating the following year. Uh, they, they dropped off a bit offensively 24th in offensive rating that second year. And then last year his final year, uh, they plummeted, right? They were bottom third of the league, both in offensive rating and defensive rating. So, I mean, why did things kind of progress the way that they did? Why didn't things necessarily work out? Well, it to be fair to Frank Vogel, there was a lot going on his last year with the Lakers that did not help him on either end of the floor. First of all, the the roster wasn't very good, and it was not constructed particularly particularly well in terms of balance or you know balancing skill sets that sort of thing. And a lot of important players, namely LeBron and AD, were hurt continually. And, uh, you know, their injuries were a big issue on that team, period. So it's very difficult to get a very brand new roster on the same page on either end of the court if the key players aren't available. 
the introduction of Russell Westbrook with Frank Vogel to put it generously did not work. Um, the, the two of them did not see eye to eye. Um, if I, Russell Westbrook told a story in his exit interview, this is before Frank Vogel was formally dismissed about, or maybe it was after, maybe it was after he was dismissed. I don't remember, but it was around that time where he, he said that uh, when Frank Vogel got hired, he sent the Vogel family like a bottle of champagne. And he, I think he didn't feel like he was properly thanked or didn't, didn't seem appreciated okay. and, uh, seemed to get things on the right foot. So word to the wise, if anybody, uh, if anybody on the team is excited about Vogel, sends him a gift, don't take it personally. If you don't get like a just gushing thank you note right away. Frank is a really nice guy. No, I'm, I'm bringing made... a bottle of champagne to his introductory press conference. <laughs> and if I don't get an explicit, like written a thank you note, I'm going scorched earth here on the podcast. It's happening. Okay. Well, uh, you know, look, if he, if he doesn't say thank you enough, maybe the problem is Frank Vogel. I, I have found him to be actually be a pretty amiable guy. Um, I think he's actually a pretty low key, you know, pretty low key, uh, pretty low maintenance the other, the real problem, though, I think the number one problem for Frank that last year was he was given a one-year extension, which is essentially a fake extension, which was a very clear vote of no confidence from the organization. And it is very difficult, particularly when you have to create a relationship with Russell Westbrook, who is a stubborn man. Um, he He is a very difficult guy to reach if he is not in the mood to be reached um that put things on a very wrong foot although it also felt like he had lost the locker room over the course of that season i, I had gotten that sense not being told anything specific by anybody but just it's what it felt like and then rob palinka eventually confirmed it um in in his sort of exit interview stash, uh, slash state of the union address to, to the media that they needed somebody that could have that locker room's attention more than Vogel. I don't know if he lost the locker room because guys were starting to tune him out because that just sometimes happens over the course of time between players and coaches. Sometimes you just need a new voice. I don't know if they were tuning him out because they – knew he was a dead man walking. I don't know if they were tuning him out because Russell Westbrook, when Russell Westbrook tunes you out, it's a very loud tuning out and maybe that comes becomes contagious. Maybe it's a combination of all of it. I don't know, but it was very clear that season it was going to be Vogel's last. Those are difficult conditions to coach under no matter who you are. So aside from the X's and O's, which we've touched on a little bit, and I want to dig a little bit deeper momentarily into some of the you know offensive defense philosophy stuff. But just aside from X's and O's, what would you be able to identify is Vogel's biggest strength and then subsequently his biggest weakness as a coach? Um, as far as weaknesses, like I said, I don't think he's a very creative offensive coach. I think his his sets and the offenses that he runs become very predictable. Um, in certain respects, that can be a byproduct of having LeBron on your team because LeBron often controls so much of the action that as brilliant as LeBron is, you know, you still can start to picture a lot of what's coming. I mean, it's, I mean, you, you, I think I'll understand what I'm saying because you covered James Harden yeah. for a while. Like, you know, there, there is a predictability to the way James Harden plays as, as great of a player 
as he was in his prime years with the Rockets, you still have an idea of what's coming. You know, when when one when one player is what an offense revolves around so much, I, I think that predictability can can happen yeah, often. The, the, but the heliocentric style kind of play that. Yeah, time. but that said, I think Frank Vogel's offenses often run stagnant, um, and it they don't seem to improve a lot over time or in different settings. Um, defensively, I, I think that he is much more creative in the way he uses players, but he also just seems to get players to buy into defense and to get excited at the prospect of defense. And the last season aside, I think he's very good too at putting players in the position where they can succeed defensively and sometimes become greater than the sum of their parts uh, or the sum of their parts become greater than the pieces themselves defensively. Um, I think he's generally pretty good at identifying what people can do well defensively and trying to maximize that the last season, notwithstanding where I, I think he was stubborn about the roster that he had trying to get them to play in a way that didn't work. But I'm also not sure there was a way to make that team work defensively anyway, because the roster just wasn't there and there were, and there were too many injuries and too little continuity, but He's a really, really good defensive mind. Um, another strength I would say of his is he's he's good at empowering his leaders and he's good at empowering his stars. And I don't think he cares whether or not he necessarily gets credit and he does not care if his players overshadow him. I do think, though, that he's not a pushover. And there was a big moment his first season with the Lakers. I want to say it was like, maybe game two, if not earlier, but they, they were playing a game against Utah and they were losing in the first half. And he ended up uh, coming out with a second second half, different uh, different starting lineup where Anthony Davis was playing at center as opposed to starting at power forward. JaVale McGee, I, I'm assuming it was JaVale then, was coming off the bench for the second half. And this was you know not far removed from... Uh, Anthony Davis and Frank Vogel going through, you know, press conference together where uh, Frank Vogel was acknowledging that AD doesn't like to play center. And they're, you know, they brought in JaVale, they brought in Dwight, like, you know, they were trying to avoid having AD play the position he didn't want. And obviously he was going to have to play AD at center some, I mean, you know, that you just have to do that, but you would look to pick your spots and for Frank Vogel to, basically call his shot that early in the season. You know, it took some cojones to do that. And it worked. They won the game. And it was at that point you really realized, like, okay, you know, Frank Vogel is very, again, amiable. He, he's got a personality that can seem milk toast, but he's not going to be intimidated by his players, even if he will acknowledge, yeah, it's LeBron James, it's Anthony Davis. I... I know in the real world, I may be leading them, but they're higher in the pecking order. And I'm comfortable with that. Okay. That's, and that takes a distinct amount of self-awareness to be able to be able to like kind of thread that needle and, and, and kind of occupy that role, occupy that space. Well, you know what? I, it's funny, actually, because it was so obvious that Frank Vogel was not their first choice. And, you know, Jason Kidd was so widely seen as the guy that was eventually going to have Frank Vogel's job, maybe even that season. If things didn't go well, I think there was a certain freedom Frank Vogel had to say, you know what, screw it. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down doing it my way. 
you know, I got some guaranteed money coming either way. Like I, I'm going to coach the way I want to coach. And if they are looking for excuses to have Jason Kidd get my job, they're probably going to find them. Like if you're looking for a reason to do something, you will eventually land on it if you want it that badly. But he, he very much coached his way, even again, while acknowledging it's LeBron, it's AD. I was at best the fourth choice for this job. So I know they are not picturing me as the next Pat Riley or the next Phil Jackson. Maybe I changed their minds, but I'm still going to do it my way. I was hired to do a job. I'm going to do the job the way I see fit. Coming up, how did Vogel handle the development of young talent with the Lakers? What was his relationship like with the front office? And are the Lakers better off without him? Or would they have been better had he been able to stay in L.A.? All that coming up here in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits just right the first time around. Just add your ride to the My Garage section of eBay Motors and look for the green check to know that your part will fit or your money back guaranteed because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Be sure to drop your thoughts on Frank Vogel as the potential next head coach of your Houston Rockets in the YouTube comments below. I do read each and every one of those every single day. How did Vogel handle kind of the development of the younger players on the roster, the young talent that the Lakers you know, had on hand? Um, He did not have a ton of it. But, you know, there are success stories with Alex Caruso, who he did predate Frank Vogel to some degree. He, he Luke Walton coached Alex Caruso a bit during some call-ups. Uh, the first season LeBron was in L.A., that was the year a lot of guys got hurt. Brandon Ingram, I think, didn't finish. The, yeah, Brandon Ingram didn't finish the season because he had that deep vein thrombosis that was actually pretty frightening for a little while. Lonzo Ball got hurt. Julius Randle got like, or no, Julius wasn't there by then, but it, everybody got hurt. And Caruso got a call up for like the last 20 games, played very well. He he was quite good. So that was developed in some part under Walton, but he really came into his own under Frank Vogel. Uh, Frank Vogel gave Austin Reeves last season a lot of run. Granted, that was, I think, more out of necessity and desperation because the roster wasn't very good and there were injuries on top of it. But, you know, some coaches would be extremely resistant towards playing an undrafted rookie free agent uh, in, in a year that could make or break your time with the organization. Vogel recognized that Reeves was one of the best guys for the job and he played him. Um, I think THT, Taylor Horton Tucker, he developed some under Frank Vogel. I, I also feel like his last season coaching Talon Horton Tucker wasn't a great environment for it because you had both LeBron and Russell Westbrook on this roster 
So the opportunities for Talon Horton Tucker to really operate in his wheelhouse weren't there. And, you know, I don't think THT has necessarily thrived more under Will Hardy in Utah than, than he did under Frank Vogel. Um, it's hard to really evaluate him as a coach of young unproven talent, just because he did not have a ton of that, you know, his, his last season with the Lakers, you know, that was an AARP roster. Like it was super old. Um, so it's, it's difficult to make that evaluation. I do think Vogel would be open to doing that. And really, I think the best way to judge this would maybe be to talk to Tony East and see if he has memories of Vogel coaching, like Paul George, Roy Hibbert, you know, those guys see, like, see what he thought their development, how it specifically did under Vogel. And that's the whole thing. It's so interesting because Vogel's kind of had two separate coaching stints where he's had success, a lot of success with those young Pacers teams that just unfortunately ran into the wall. That was the Heatles at the time. But I mean, he had Mm -hmm. Paul George for the first five years of his career, right? Had a very young Pacers team and and had a lot of success. And then he had, had kind of the inverse with that, with the Lakers where he had an older team and was still able to manage, you know, massage the egos, coax the superstars, do all of that. And that's two very different styles of coaching to have to approach those two teams with yeah i mean it's it's much different coaching a veteran team much less you know in the case of a team with lebron and ad a veteran team with a lot of expectations you are in championship or bust mode all of the time versus developing uh like a young core like what he did with the pacers which I think Vogel did very well. I mean, my, you know, my impression from 5,000 feet and, you know, it was like a decade ago, but I always thought he did a good job with it. Definitely. At least when you, when you look at the Indiana stint, for sure, the Orlando one, you know, kind of a little blip on his radar, but um, that's neither here nor there. We'll, we'll ignore that. Who's the coach really making it work in Orlando? Yeah. I think that's, that's a good, yeah. Good, good answer to that. You gotta go back Um, to like Stan Van Gundy. (laughs) For real. Um, all right, let's go. I, I got a couple more here for you, Andy, before we let you go. I, I want to understand what was the relationship like between Vogel and the front office, right? You talk about, he, you know, he wasn't clearly choice number one, two, three, however, however far down the list you want to go. But how did he handle his relationship with the front office during his tenure? I think the relationship for the most part was professional. I don't think it ever grew anything more than just a professional working relationship. Um, The last season he was there, it was very clear Vogel hated the roster. Um, And as the season went along, uh, Vogel would, in very passive-aggressive ways, uh, make it pretty clear, I don't like this roster. I, I don't know what the F you expect me to do with it. Um, which on one hand, he wasn't wrong. I did not know what the F he was supposed to do with it either. But I think sometimes, like I said, it colored his decision-making um, in terms of how he used it. I think sometimes he would get a little bit stubborn, um, like almost trying to prove a point. Um, I think the relationship was fine. I don't think... It, you know, I, it's... You know, the first season he was with the Lakers, it was like, like it didn't sour, but it wasn't great, right? Like just kind well, of you have to remember. <laughs> you have to remember too. The first season Frank Vogel was with the Lakers was such an unusual season, period, because you know his introduction to the team was, you know, was very strange because it was coming off the Lakers missing the playoffs the first season with LeBron, Magic Johnson out of left field resigns. Uh, Luke Walton gets fired. The Anthony Davis trade happens, but you know, they, they 
move half the roster for it. Frank Vogel gets hired, but he is considered a complete afterthought against all of this drama. The season goes and it goes very well, but then there's the pandemic, there's the death of Kobe Bryant, you know, the bubble playoffs. Like there was a lot that was just strange. And even the following season, um, you know, because the it was on a, a unusual NBA calendar. Yeah, the, the spillover and, from the bubble right, and COVID it, and all that. There, yeah. there was a lot going on that made it, to be totally honest, the relationship between Vogel and the front office wasn't something that I was necessarily focusing on a lot. I never got a sense that they fully bought into him, but I never got a sense that there were problems until that final year which again were made very clear when they gave him the fake extension like that that was that was not in any way them empowering frank vogel it was them whether intentionally out of indifference whatever that was them kneecapping him in a lot of ways and it was pretty clear at that point he's not long for this ride save some incredible season where it just becomes publicly unpalatable to fire him it was pretty clear that the, the doubts they had about him or just him never being the guy they really wanted to hire were starting to catch up with him but i i never got a sense that there was any type of hostility between him and the front office you know i just got a sense that it was fine okay and Last one here for you. Just how how have the Lakers fared in the post Vogel era, right? I mean, how is basically would would the Lakers be better off if they had kept Vogel, or are they a worse off team without him now under Darvin Ham? Well, that's a that's a really interesting question. Um, obviously, there would have been there would have been at least more continuity between LeBron, AD, and Vogel. And, you know, that's continuity. And I guess Dennis Schroeder, because he had coached Schroeder that second season with the Lakers. Um, and it's always good to have that sort of continuity with, you know, your two most important players. It would depend to some degree how much of Vogel losing the locker room revolved around the situation. And, and I think it's fair to say Russell Westbrook versus was he also losing LeBron? Was he also losing AD? It At times it felt to me like, he was not because I thought LeBron or AD disliked Frank Vogel. If anything, I always got the sense that LeBron really respected Frank Vogel's preparation. Like he is a really meticulous prepared guy. And that is something LeBron will always respond to. But, you know, even people you respect, sometimes you still can tune them out occasionally, or you just feel like this isn't the right situation. The relationship runs a course, whatever. Having Frank Vogel here, I, I don't know what it does against the backdrop of all these different injuries and another season of roster turnover. You maybe avoid some of the inexperience that, that we've seen come through with Darvin Ham. Um, you know, there, there are times when as much as you believe in Darvin Ham's potential and, you know, Darvin has done a very good job, I think, keeping guys bought in through a lot of difficulty and a lot of chaos. There are times when it's pretty clear, yeah, he's this is his first time doing this as the head guy. You don't get that with Frank Vogel. There are a lot of obstacles, though, to overcome this season that I'm not sure it would have made a difference if you have Vogel one way or the other. All right. Well, 
Andy, I appreciate you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and give us some insight, some of your thoughts about Frank Vogel and how his skills might translate to this Houston Rockets team if he were selected as the next head coach. Do us a favor, let our listeners know where they can track you down and if they want some more musings on the Lakers as they're navigating through this uh, postseason run. Well, obviously, they should be subscribing to Locked on Lakers podcast five days a week, anywhere you get your podcast, or you can check out the YouTube channel, 15,000 strong with our subscribers. It is a lively crowd, but it is the rare uh, comment section that is not a cesspool. So that's always nice. Um, and uh, you can follow my brother, Brian, and I. We co-host the show together. You can follow us on Twitter at Cam Brothers for as long as we remain on Twitter. That's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Rockets. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms. We're also available on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Give us your thoughts on Frank Vogel after hearing what Andy had to say about his time in L.A. Drop them in the YouTube comments. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for every Houston Rockets basketball.